Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be back in the book of Daniel, and uh, the guy speaking today is a guy named Michael Bibelheimer. Now, I, we call him Biblehammer, and uh, so you can call him whatever you want. But I've always thought, man, now that I'm a Christian, I'm like, I would love to have the name Bible in my name instead of Neishvanga. Um, and so, anyways, I met Michael the first time in the middle of Nebraska. I was speaking at a high school camp. And uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to this school called Master Seminary out in California. And I go, oh, I, I know that one. I went there. And, and we started to talk. And I said, you know, when you come out, it would be great to just hang out. And I'll help you however you can to kind of land out here. Never did I imagine that this hick from North Dakota. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> I mean, you think Wyoming is the sticks where I'm from. North Dakota's like a whole other place. <clears throat> They got mosquitoes that are bigger than my children. But I'm so excited he's going to speak today. Let me, let, me, let me tell you why. He's doing his THM work all around eschatology. And if you know anything about Daniel 9, man, it's probably one of the more confusing passages in all of Scripture. And so today I'm going to pray for him. But, but the thing I would ask is open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to bring you a Bible Open it up, pull out your pen, pull out your notebook, because he's not going to give you everything. But one thing that I think is important about this passage is that sometimes people write eschatology off, and we should be the ones that look into it to understand our hope is found in the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let me, let me pray for us. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles coming around. But let me, let me pray for Michael and for all of us. Jesus, thank you for today. Thanks for your word. And I pray right now for all of us in here that are about to hear this, God, that your Holy Spirit would enliven our hearts, that, that we would truly listen and hear and understand what you want to teach us from this book, that, Father, we would understand this is your word, and you speak to us through it. Father, I pray for Michael right now. Would you just calm his heart? Would you just allow him to speak on your behalf? And Father, most importantly at the end, we just ask Jesus is exalted. And so thanks in your precious name we pray. Amen. Tell you. Amen. Good morning, Cornerstone. It is my privilege to be here this morning with all of you and to open God's word. Uh, when they had asked me if you want to preach on Daniel 9 on the 70th week, I was like, for real? You want me to do this? Because this is like... The mega passage in Daniel. Out of all the golden nuggets in Daniel, this is the biggest golden nugget. And so I'm like, well, why don't you want to preach this? Like, you want let me have this opportunity? And so I am excited to be here uh, this morning. Um, currently at Cornerstone, I'm one of the, the co-directors here for the youth ministry. And so I serve alongside a guy named uh, Nathan Verdo. And uh, we've been here for the past year, and it's been an awesome time serving your high school students. Um, I was a youth pastor before, and I was there for a little more than a year, and that was before I came down here to L.A. And I remember the relationships were so much better after being there for a year, and I know that they would only progress and be even uh, better than what they were. And so I just look forward to uh, even spending more months with the high school students and also with the leaders being here at Cornerstone Church. When I, uh, when I got to that a previous pastoral church, I uh, saw the youth group students, and I just saw some, just in their spiritual life, I just seemed to be some passivity, just an indifference towards the things of the Lord. And, and I started praying for several months. I'm like, Lord, please give these high school students and these middle school students a desire and a fire for you. 
And so I ended up praying for a couple months, and then all of a sudden we go to this camp in Nebraska, and that's the camp that I met Todd at. And these kids, they were so encouraged by the teaching of God's Word and this intentional relationship with God and with others. And I remember one girl after a small group, she's like, yeah, let's go back and save the whole town. And I'm like, for real? Like, where did that come from? And for me, I was so excited to see that God had done a work in these students that not only do they want God for themselves, but they also want God for others. Getting involved into youth ministry again and being in seminary for the last few years, I am now more acquainted with the griefs and also the struggles that are in high school ministry. Uh, For me, I was like, man, I thought I kind of walked past those. And it's like, oh man, the insecurities of being a high school student. Now I'm remembering them for myself. But it's like, how can I help them? How can I serve them in their stage in life and how God can mean much to them for not only in that time, but also for the future? In this day and age, we have students that struggle with hard things, struggle with relationships, and you deal with the things such as suicidal thoughts and with cutting and even encouraging them if their parents are going through a divorce and the relationships are just unsteady, but Sometimes there's those questions. It's like, what is in the future? Is there a hopeful future? Is the future bright when a student may be going through depression or feel rejected? But not only do high school students wrestle with that, but also as adults, we wrestle with that as well. We have a world that is just much different now than you as adults remember when you were children And we see that there is a lot of sin. We see that there is an unsteadiness in the government. We see that there is a culture that is very sexually charged. We see even the legalization of more drugs and a continued struggle over racism. Uh, We also have leaders in government who lack integrity and also have a low view of personal character. And so some of us, we wonder the question, what kind of future is in it for us? But then the other question, too, is what kind of future is in it for our children? Today, as we open God's Word in Daniel chapter 9, we are going to find that God's sovereign plan is exact and good so that we can trust that He is in control. So if you'd please turn into Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and we are going to be in verse uh, 20. Again, we are talking about how God's sovereign plan is exact and good so that we can trust that He is in control. Verse 20, and this is Daniel. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer. Now, here Daniel is that Terry talked about last week. He has just prayed for the first uh, 19 verses. And why did he begin to pray? Well, he began to pray because he was reading God's word. He saw in Jeremiah that they were going to be out of the land for 70 years. Right now, Daniel, he is out of his, out of his, his, his city. He is out of his land. And so are also his people. And he's very concerned about them. And so he reads God's word and he sees that there's 70 years of captivity that God has said is going to happen in the future. But also the question is like, why did God have them be brought out of their land? 
For 23 years, God warned his people about their sin. He warned them, he warned them, and he warned them, and they still continued in their sin, their sin of idolatry, their sin of being unfaithful to those who they were married to, child sacrifices. They had a neglect for God, and they did not honor him. And for 23 years, God warned them. He sent his prophets, and he also said that if you do not turn away from your sin and turn on to me, that judgment was going to come. And judgment came exactly as God said it would. He said that he's going to use his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he is going to come, and he is going to take you out of the land. Well, what happened? Nebuchadnezzar came. He set a siege around the city, and then eventually they broke through the wall. And when they broke through the wall, the king of Jerusalem, he tried to escape with others. Well, he didn't get very far, and then he was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's quite graphic. These are the things that Daniel remembers about his childhood. And so the king of Jerusalem was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar had each of the sons of the king of Jerusalem set before him, and then he ended up killing them and slaughtered each of his sons. But not only was that enough, and Nebuchadnezzar being the brutal, awful man and king that he was, he also then plucked the eyes out of the king of Jerusalem and then brought him to, to Babylon. This is the memory that Daniel has of his people. This is the judgment that God brought because they wouldn't turn away from their sin. No longer was Jerusalem a place of laughter and where in the temple they would sing songs and worship to their God. No longer would men come home after a hard day's work and be with their family. No longer would there be the cry of babies. But the whole land, everybody was taken out of the land and the only people left were poor people just to cultivate some vineyards. And so you can see why Daniel... When he sees that it is almost coming to the end of 70 years where they are out of their land, that he begins to pray. And we see from verse 3, he says, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and with sackcloth and ashes. We see here a man of God who didn't come to God and say, I know what's best. What are you doing up there? He came to God as a humble man pleading for mercy. He wasn't thinking, oh man, this is a good word. I need to send this on Facebook or get it on my Instagram. But immediately he was thinking, I need to pray to God and ask that he would give us mercy and that he would restore what I remember as a child, the good Jerusalem. Verse 21 While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift light at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision." If you see there, Gabriel wasn't sent from the throne room of God after Daniel had said, Amen. He wasn't, Amen, and then it's like, All right, Gabriel, go. 
But even in the midst of his prayer, Gabriel was already sent from God with a message and with a word for Daniel. So we see from this that the throne room of God isn't that far away. It's not that it takes a million years to get there, but in moments, God can send one of his messengers and be in our presence. God is near. And so Gabriel, he says to him, you are greatly loved. Now, Daniel's like, what? I'm greatly loved. Look what just happened to my life. I was just taken out of Jerusalem, the good, the good city that I loved when I was a teenager, and now I am here in Babylon. Like, I'm greatly loved? Well, we know that it's not based upon our circumstances, whether we are loved, but it is based upon our relationship with God, even in good times and in bad times. And so he comes with this word, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And then he also has a word for them. He says, therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And so the next passage that we are going to be getting into here is known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. So we've talked about Daniel's prayer, the prayer of Daniel. And then secondly, we talked about the presence of Gabriel. And then lastly, we are going to get into verses 24 through 27. And we are going to be talking about the plan of God for the future. Okay, so a little little bit on this passage. This is known as like the backbone of biblical prophecy. Now, when people are talking about prophecy and then Daniel comes up, usually it's right here in this text. Again, they asked me to teach on it. So I'm excited and here I am. I don't know why they didn't want to teach on it, but I want to teach on this because this is awesome. However, I will say that this is not just a very simple passage. This is complex. This is, this is kind of like where the big boys play. This is, this is some heavy stuff. And so I promise, I promise you, I have tried to make it as simple as possible, and I have pulled out the important things. And so I know that you can track with me. I know that you can track with me. But if you just look at the end of verse 23, Gabriel, he says to him, understand the vision. So this is Daniel. He says to Daniel, now, Daniel is about as godly as you can get. I mean, the lions don't even touch him. He is one of the major prophets, and God has revealed to him visions and words of what is going to happen to his people in the future. This man prays three times a day. He has suffered much for the name of his God. I mean, this is about as godly as you can get, but even Gabriel says this is not necessarily a simple passage, a simple message, but please pay attention. And so likewise, bear with me and please pay attention to this. If you pay attention with me, you will be amazed at what is in this passage because this passage is awesome. So let me read verses 24 through 27. This is the word that Gabriel brought to Daniel from God. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. 
And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I'm sure some of you are like, wow, that's amazing. Some of you are like, what in the world did you just read? It probably would have been the same if you just would have read it in Hebrew and you read it in English. There's three things in here that I want to point out to you. God has laid out his plan. And so here we find the timing of God's plan. We find the person in God's plan. And we also find the ending in God's plan. Now, the timing. Right in verse 24, you have 70 weeks are decreed. Now, how do we understand 70 weeks? This is meant to be understood not in 70 weeks, because like when you say, hey, I'll see you in a week, you're like, I'll see you in seven days. Well, this means not seven days, but this means 77 of years. So if you were to replace the word week and put seven in there, and then also interpreting it as years, we would say it's 77s of years. And so this would be 490 years God's plan is going to come about now. Commentators, there's not a lot of disagreement over this. This is very, there's reasons behind it, and I won't get into why we interpret in 77s of years. I won't get into that. If you really want to know more, you can send me an email. My email will be up on the screen uh, later during the, the, the sermon, and, but I won't bog you down with those reasons. And so there's 490 years, the timing, 490 years God is going to lay out his plan for the future. And notice, it is for Daniel's people, and it's also for Daniel's holy city, And there's these six things, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, if you're looking at those four verses, the first verse talks about the goal of what these 70 weeks are going to bring about. And so you have just like the end of sin. You have the anointing of a holy place. Like this is the picture perfect world that everybody wants to live in. And that is God's final goal is to bring about these six things to take care away, to take away of sin and also to bring in everlasting righteousness, a place where there's no wrong, people treat everybody correctly, and it is awesome. This is the picture-perfect world that God is going to bring. But then as we see, God has certain phases of how he's going to be bringing that in. So we've talked about, firstly, the timing of God's plan. Keep hanging in there with me. I hope that you guys are following. You will be amazed. This next point is awesome. This is my favorite point, if you must know. And so we have here, the next thing is the person involved. And so we are going to see that there is, in the 70 weeks, we have three sections. We have one over here, and this is going to be seven years. And then there's, excuse me, there's seven weeks, which is seven times seven, that's 49. And then you have the second section, which is 62 weeks long, and it goes all the way over here. And then the last and final section is the last week. 
And so week means seven years, right? So we have 490 years where God is going to complete his plan. And so you have the first step, the first seven of seven years, first 49 years. And then the second section, during the 62 weeks, the temple in Jerusalem is rebuilt. So if Daniel's reading this, he's excited. Man, it's going to be rebuilt. This is awesome. I've never seen it rebuilt, and I only have a scar of memories of what it used to look like when I was a teenager. And he is so hopeful, wanting it to be rebuilt. But we see that God lays out more than just what Daniel wants. He lays out for more of what is going to be for the world. And so we have the first section, seven weeks, and then also the 62 weeks. But here's something that is very interesting, and this is the person. This is the second thing under the 70 weeks. This is the person involved. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The anointed one we understand to be Jesus, the Messiah. If you have the New King James Version, you have Messiah, just like that. And so this is going to be Jesus. But notice the wording here, verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. Now the question is, what happened at the end of his 62 weeks? Again, this is 62 sevens of years. What happened on the last day of those 62 weeks? Now this is awesome. After Jews who did not believe in Jesus Christ, when they saw the exact date of what happened in this time, Jews had believed in Jesus because of the exactness of God's plan. So I'm sure you're wondering, like, wow, really? Like, man, I want to know. At the end of this, so there's a man, and he died in 2009. His name was Harold Honer, and he was a theologian, a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he does done work on the timing of Daniel and the years, and he brings it to a certain day of what he believes, and I believe, is the last day of those weeks. And notice it says, after the 62 weeks, but what happened on that day? What happened when the 62 weeks was up? This is what happened on that day. Matthew 21, 8 through 11, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the holy city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The 62 weeks ends, and you have Jesus, the Messiah, coming in to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild temple. He is coming in, and he is going to give up his life four days later. Because the wording in verse 20 says, and says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one will be cut off. And Jesus was cut off. And he had nothing. Why did Jesus die? He died for you. He died not only for the people of Israel and for the sins of Daniel, but he died for you and for your sins because he didn't have the scope of just the people of Israel, but for the whole world. 
The sovereign plan of God is exact and good so that we can trust that he is in control. The last thing that I want to mention is, thirdly, we've talked about the timing of God's plan, the person involved in God's plan, and then also we have the ending of God's plan. Verse 27, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Um, I understand that these last seven years is something that has not happened yet, but right now we are in a time of gap. So from the first 69 weeks, keep following me with me, keep following with me here. The first 69 weeks are completed, but yet we are still waiting for the sliver of seven years to be done. And so that is going to happen in the future. And so right now we live in this gap period and eventually the 70th week will come to pass in the future. The 70th week is a, it's a pretty perky one. I mean, it's the seven years that's going to happen in the future, and we're not going to dive into that uh, right now. But I believe that this strong covenant, um, this, this will be the Antichrist making a covenant with Israel for seven years. And so I believe, how do you know who the Antichrist is? I mean, I remember seeing in college, Barack Obama is the Antichrist. And they took his name and they made it like go with numbers and then they got like 666 out of it. And, and I'm pretty sure Donald Trump has one too. And he's, he's the Antichrist. And I have a friend who believes Trump is the Antichrist and all these things. And, and, uh, and I don't know. But how I understand the future that you will know who the Antichrist is when he makes a strong covenant with Israel for seven years. That's how I understand that this will play out in the end. So we've talked about the prayer of Daniel, the presence of Gabriel, and also the plan of God for the future. God's plan has a purpose greater than ourselves, and we are simply to play the man and our own part in God's plan. In the year 1555, there was this man, this pastor, Hugh Latimer, and he preached the Bible faithfully, and he was persecuted for what he had preached. And he is known famously being burned at the stake with this other man, Nicholas Ridley. And Hugh Latimer, as he is being killed for his faith, he says to Nicholas, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Hugh Latimer, understand, I just play the role of the man. And God is the main character in the drama of all of creation and to the end. He has his part and I play my part. For us, we don't tell God, hey, let's start the 70 week already. But we have our own part in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and this is for you. What should I do as I live on this earth. This is just one piece of advice. And Paul, he writes this, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. C.S. Lewis said, We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. 
So whether our time on this earth is in a good time or a bad time, we are called to be faithful to God, just as Daniel was. And we place our confidence that God is in control, even if it seems to us that things are out of control. For, we, for now we live and we share the gospel about the Savior of the world who died for sins and rose again, defeating sin and death until he comes again. Today we have seen that God's plan is exact and good so that we can trust that he is in control. Let us pray. God, we see that your word is awesome, and we see that you know the future. You ordain the beginning all the way to the end exactly as you have planned. And sometimes it's so hard not to want to be more in control as humans. And, and God, I pray that we just relinquish our right of trying to tell you what to do, but we just want to be submissive to whatever life you have for us. I pray that we, as individuals, in our daily lives, we seek to live godly and dignified lives in every way, that we may be the salt and light to the world as we represent you I pray for everybody in here and all the struggles that we wrestle with, and whether it's the body is failing or relationships are falling apart, I pray that we just strive to live blameless lives before you. In your name we pray all these things. Amen.